This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. It's a tradition in the early Christian church that on Easter, they would greet each other by saying, He is risen, and they would respond, He is risen indeed. So let's keep that tradition. Let's try that out. He is risen. Amen. They also greet each other with a triple kiss. Should we do that as well? <laughs> we'll just do the, the first one. We'll be focusing on the words from Colossians chapter 3. Paul talks about how the resurrection meets us in our day-to-day life. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us to celebrate, to sing, to worship, to hear your word. Pray, Lord God, that Easter would not just be a celebration today, but that it would change our lives, transform us, that it would be the daily celebration in our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would start that today in us, and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your word. In your name we pray, amen. Holy Week is history. It's objective truth. Whether you believe it or not, it happened. 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus. He lived in Galilee. He died in Jerusalem. He was buried in a tomb. And then three days later, he came out of that tomb. That is objectively true, whether you believe it or not. Now, Christians believe this because it's in the scriptures, Uh, Christians search the scriptures and and see all the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that point ahead to Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And then they they read the fulfillment of these promises through those eyewitness accounts written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, by Peter, and Paul. And Christians believe. But maybe you still want some more proof. 
Let me tell you, I have lots of evidence that points to the historical resurrection of Jesus, that this happened objectively. One of them, I think one of the most strong pieces of evidence is the fact that all of the apostles, these eyewitnesses, minus one, minus John, they all died saying they saw Jesus alive. And the most remarkable was the apostle Paul. See, Apostle Paul was no friend to Christianity. In fact, he hated Christianity at one time. He thought Christianity was a fraud. He thought it was ruining Judaism. He thought Christianity was a cult. And so he thought it was his God-given duty to get rid of Christianity. So everywhere he went, he tried to round up Christians, put them in jail, and he even persecuted them to the point of death. But then Paul met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And the objective reality of the resurrected Jesus standing in front of him changed his mind. He couldn't argue with the facts. And he did a complete 180. This man stopped persecuting Christians and he let himself be persecuted. He became a missionary. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament and he wound up in prison for his faith and he didn't deny Jesus to the point of dying. And I had, a, I had a teacher back in high school, uh, Pastor Stephen Hintz, and he said this to me. I remember this in class. The day he said this, it just totally changed my world. He said, some people will give up their life for what they hope to be true, but no one will die for what they know to be a lie. Some people will give up their life for something they hope to be true, but nobody will die for what they know to be a lie. That means if any single one of those apostles thought that this was a sham, thought that this was a hallucination, or thought this was just something they made up in their own heads, not one of them would have given up their life for it. But because they saw the objective reality of Jesus standing in front of them, resurrected, they were willing to die for it. But maybe you still want more evidence. Well, maybe you say, you know, I want video camera footage of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I don't have that. But I think I have the second best thing. Did you know that there was a contemporary Jewish historian named Josephus who, who lived about the same time as Jesus? And he was no friend to Christianity. He was not a believer in Jesus. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't trust in Jesus. He, he followed Judaism. But because he was an accurate historian, he had to talk about Jesus. And even as an enemy of Christianity, he had to record the historical facts. And, and when you have your enemies backing up your faith, that's some of the most powerful evidence. And so this is what Josephus wrote in the first century. He said this. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples, Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship, like other people. There was other messiahs about the same time as Jesus, um, and, and all those movements died with the leader. But they reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, and that he was alive. And now Josephus has to concede this. Accordingly, he was perhaps the messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders, and the tribe of the Christians, which means little Christ, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. Now that's some pretty strong evidence 
of the resurrection. When you have somebody, historian, who's just reporting the facts like a journalist, just reporting what's going on, has to concede that there was this man named Jesus, he lived, died, rose, and his followers continue to follow him. So it's objective reality. Whether you believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus who lived, died, and rose. Easter is history. Holy Week is history. And maybe you can see that. Maybe you say, okay, maybe that happened. So what? So what, pastor? There's been a lot of great things that have happened in history. They don't affect me today. Maybe you're, you're thinking right now, pastor, I got bigger problems right now. Pastor, my identity, I'm an addict. Pastor, I'm addicted to pornography. It's ruining my life. It's ruining my relationships. And I can't stop. What is a guy who died 2,000 years ago and who rose again, supposedly, help me today? How's that going to help today? Or pastor, I'm addicted to alcohol. I've been hiding bottles all over the house and, and I can't stop it. I don't know what to do about it. What does somebody who died and rose 2,000 years ago have to say to me, an addict right now? Or, or maybe you're saying, pastor, I'm just so filled with grief and sadness and depression. I can't stop. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. It's a miracle I'm here. I don't like myself. What does a guy who died 2,000 years ago and is alive, what does that have to do with me today? Pastor, my, my marriage is a mess. I got anger issues. I can't stop being angry. I, I'm just always angry all the time. This is just who I am. This is my new identity. I'm an angry person. There's nothing I can do about it. What does a guy who lived, died, and rose 2,000 years ago have to say to me? Pastor, I got trauma. It triggers all the time. I can't get through the day. What does a guy who lived, died, and rose 2,000 years ago have to say to me today? Well, if you're struggling to see the power of the resurrection in your day-to-day life, you're not alone. 2,000 years ago, there was a a group of Christians called the Colossians. They lived in the city of Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey, so quite a bit removed from the city of Jerusalem. There were a group of these new Christians about 60 AD, about 30-some years after Jesus, And at first, they were pretty excited about the message of the gospel, but after a while, they became disinterested. After a while, they're just kind of disenchanted with the message of the gospel. They didn't see how something that happened 30 years in the past for them happened on the other side of the world to them could actually affect them in their day-to-day life. And so they were so disenchanted with the gospel, they started actually following worldly philosophies They actually started following other religious traditions because they thought there was something else out there besides Jesus that was more powerful. Something else needed to be sufficient. And so the Apostle Paul wrote them this letter. And in this letter, he talks about the now power of the gospel, of the resurrection. He said this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, we come here to talk about Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, but Paul turns it on you, and he looks at you, and he says, You died. You died and you were raised. He says, as objectively true as the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's objectively true that you died and you were raised. 
And you want to respond, Paul, you're going crazy. I never died. I was never resurrected. That didn't happen to me. What are you talking about, Paul? When did I die? And when did I come back to life? This doesn't make any sense. Well, he explains it a little bit earlier in the letter. He says, you, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. He says, Holy Week happened in history, but Holy Week also happened to you at your baptism. Now, if you're not baptized, let's get you baptized. Let's have you baptized and be connected to Christ. But if you are baptized, Paul is saying there's an objective truth. That in your baptism, your baptism was almost like a reenactment ceremony, a reenactment of Holy Week. That that in your baptism, um, just like Jesus was nailed to a cross and all of your sins were connected to Jesus and they were buried with Jesus in that tomb, you also were buried in your baptism. You You were buried under those waters and all your sins were buried with them. And then just as Jesus came out of that grave, you too came out of the waters of baptism alive and new. You are a new person. That's an objective truth. He says, by faith in Jesus, you came out of those waters and you were resurrected. You were different. You were new. And now Paul brings some implications to that. He says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Your life's hidden with Christ. I really sympathize with with politicians because politicians have to spend so much time trying to cover up their past or kind of promote who they are that they're someone better than than they actually are, right? They spend so much time, and and that's, that's understandable why they have to do that to win elections, but we're not that different from politicians. We spend so much of our time trying to cover up our past and try to project a a better self-image out to the world than we actually are. In fact, I was talking to a therapist about this, and she said, you know, I think most of our problems is we're too obsessed with ourselves. We can't get off ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves all the time. We're thinking about our past and our, our issues that we have in the past. We're thinking about what, how we're presenting ourselves to others. But the beauty of the gospel, the death and resurrection, the now power of the gospel is you're hidden with Christ. You can forget about yourself. You don't have to think about yourself anymore. There's no self to have to promote. There's no self to have to hide. There's nobody that you have to um, impress anymore. You you, You died. You died and now your life is hidden behind Christ. And when Christ comes on the last day, what happened to him is is gonna happen to you. What happened to him at the cross happened to you. You died with him and you were raised with him. And now it says when he comes back in glory, what happened to him to be glorified and resurrected, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be glorified and resurrected. And there's nothing that can take that away from you. Those are the objective facts of Easter. Holy Week happened to Jesus. Holy Week is history. And Holy Week happened to you at your baptism. And so now Paul says, here's the application. You live a new life as if you were Christ. You live a new life as if you were Christ. You don't have to think about you anymore. Your life is hidden behind Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. 
When I was growing up, my neighbor attended uh, the big church in Kenosha. I think it's called Journey Church now. It was Assembly of God Church back, back 30 years ago. And, and 30 years ago, they used to have these, these Easter pageants. And my neighbor played Jesus. And, he's, and we always knew that Easter was coming around the corner because he started growing out his beard and growing out his hair. And then we drive by and we say, oh, there's Jesus cutting the lawn. And he looked like every painting, every picture that you would ever think of about Jesus. And one year, I remember, we went to his production. And he did such a good job. He just gave into that role that when I was watching Bill Cram, my neighbor, up on the cross, I forgot it was Bill. And I thought it was Jesus. And when, and when he came out of the tomb, I forgot it was Bill. It was Jesus. And that's what God thinks about you. Your life is hidden behind the character and the story of Jesus. You're still you, but your reputation that, that we spend so much time trying to protect or, or your pastor, all those things, those are, those have been died with Jesus. And now when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You can forget about yourself. The beauty of the gospel is self-forgetfulness. And now that you don't have to spend all that time on yourself, on your failures and on your past, now that you have a new identity, your core identity is not addict. Your core identity is not victim. Your core identity is not your problems or your past. That's not your core identity. Whatever you struggle with is not your core identity. Your core identity is you are in Christ. And because you don't have to think about yourself anymore, you can think about something else. What can you think about? Paul says, now set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, now tune your, your, your thoughts, not in yourself anymore, but on Christ. And what's above, that he's seated, that he's reigned, that he won the victory, that he's alive, that he's ruling over the world, he's coming back again. Set your mind on Christ and who he is. And the more you set your mind on Christ, the more you become like him. Have you heard of method acting? Method acting is when an actor will so absorb themselves in the character that they're playing, they actually lose a sense of reality. They actually lose who they are. And this can be pretty dangerous. Uh, if you kind of lose yourself in the character, depending on what kind of character you're trying to play, it happened to Heath Ledger in that Batman movie. Do you know that? When he, he, he did method acting and he, he got so close, so connected to the Joker, that villain, he forgot who he was and he never got out of it. So it can be very dangerous depending on who you're trying to become. But think of the power of that method acting when it comes to playing the role of Christ. That you get so obsessed with Jesus. You're so deeply connected to Jesus. You so live for Jesus. You're so moved by Jesus. You forget about yourself and you start playing the role of Jesus in the world. Now that's not always going to happen perfectly. No matter how much you focus on Jesus, we still have a sinful nature and our, our sins are going to still pop up every once in a while, right? Our, our old nature is going to pop up. Kind of like whack-a-mole game just kind of pops up into our lives. And that's what the devil wants to pounce on. Any of you ever play um, pin the tail on the donkey when you were a kid, right, at a, at a birthday party or something? You blindfold, you pin the tail on the donkey. Well, the devil's favorite game is pin the sin on the Christian. 
that when you struggle with something and, and another sin pops up and you thought you got over that and it pops up, the devil comes and he wants to pin that sin to you. And he wants to tell you, see, you're just as messed up as what you were. Maybe your baptism didn't take, right? Maybe there wasn't enough water. Maybe they didn't say the right word. Maybe you don't really believe. Maybe you're not really forgiven. Maybe you're not really a Christian. Maybe it didn't really work. And whenever you slip up, you want to, the devil wants to pin that sin to you and say, see, that's your core identity. That's who you really are. And Paul tells us what to do when that happens. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, put them to death. When the devil wants to pin a sin to you, pin it to the cross. Drown it in your baptism. Remind yourself, that's not who I am. Yes, I fall into sin, but that's not my core identity. And he goes on, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You used to be like that. That's who you used to be. Sure, that's who you were, but that's not who you are today. You're new in Christ. That's not your core identity. In fact, you can put on the character of Christ. He says, put off your old self and put on the role of Christ. You know, dress up like Jesus. Play that part in the play of the world. Play the role of Jesus in this world. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to dress up like Jesus, to, to play that part? He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, just like God chose Israel, now he chooses all of you. He chooses everybody. God chooses you, you're holy and dearly loved. Now clothe yourselves, put on Christ. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. See, Holy Week, yes, it happened 2,000 years ago, but it happened for you. It happened at your baptism. You are wearing Christ. And now when you wear Christ, when you put, take that role of Christ, when you, when you participate in that, that Easter drama in your life, you start to have these characteristics of compassion and kindness, humility. You start to forgive people as Christ forgives people. You start to live a life of love. And I think my neighbor... Bill Cram, I think he had some kind of method acting. Uh, I think he just, he, he seemed to get so into the character of Jesus that it spilled over into other parts of his life. It wasn't just about that production once a year. It became who he was. And I'm glad for that. Because as a 10-year-old boy, I was hitting some golf balls in the backyard one day. And I caught one really clean. And I put a ball through Jesus's window. <laughs> And I remember being so scared and so sad as a 10-year-old boy thinking, what did I just do? And Bill Cram, he treated me like Jesus would. He forgave me. He accepted me. He showed compassion. That's who he was. When my father was in his, his motorcycle accident, he was there to, to come and visit and pray with us and encourage us because he had spent so much time with Jesus, it became his character. C.S. Lewis says this is what the whole church is about. This is what Easter is about. This is what the Christian church is about. When he wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christ. That's what a Christian means. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, 
even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. So you don't need to beat yourself up anymore, obsess about yourself, hide yourself, promote yourself. You died to self. You're hidden with Christ. What happened 2,000 years ago happened to you. And so here's the big takeaway. Embody the story of Easter. Embody it. Don't just celebrate it. Don't just think about it. Don't just remember it. Make it deep into your bones. Embody the story of Easter. Embody the resurrection, that you are a resurrected person, that you wear Christ every day. Forget about yourself and make your life about Jesus. There was one theologian who said, discipleship is acting like Jesus if he were you. If Jesus was a middle-aged mother, and that's who you are, well, how would he act? If Jesus was a 10-year-old boy, and that's who you are, well, how would, that, how would he act? If Jesus was a 9-year-old man, how would he act if that's you? Whatever it is, let Jesus be the role that you play in every part of your life. Because that's the objective truth of what happened at your baptism. I love Easter. I love everything about this day. And I'm so thankful for the countless hours that have been put in by our staff and volunteers to make this day special. The 450 eggs that were cracked for, for, for the breakfast. This, this set design, all of the music and the victory kids and all the, the many, many people. So if you see our staff and volunteers, make sure you thank them for all the hard work for making this day special. But you know, we don't need to just celebrate it one time a year. This is to be our everyday celebration. We are called to embody the story of Easter. Forget about yourself. Because you died And that old identity and all those sins that cling to you, they died with you. And now you've been raised with Christ. And so live a new life as if you were Christ. And that's how Easter matters today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, let the events that happened 2,000 years ago happen right now in our hearts. Help us to die to self and all the hang-ups and all the obsessions and all the sadness and all the fear and all the worry. Help us to die to all that stuff inside of us and help us to live for you and with you, hidden behind you. Help us to play the role of Christ in our lives. Help Easter happen to us all the time. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.